Welcome to the podcast of the National Institute for Health Research, the NIHR. In this episode, we're going to talk about community engagement and involvement in global health research and the Leave No One Behind agenda. I'm Erica Nelson. I'm a researcher at the Institute of Development Studies, and this podcast is part of an ongoing collaboration with the NIHR to produce a series of learning resources on CEI. The final installation of this series is considering the Leave No One Behind agenda as it applies to community engagement and involvement in practice. So we thought we'd try something a little different, a little bit conversational, and bring in some invited experts to talk about their own work. The people we've brought in to talk to us today are Rebecca Rachel Appelot, who's a research fellow in the Department of Health Policy Planning and Management at the Macquarie University School of Public Health in Uganda. We're also going to be talking with Sabrina Rashid, who's an associate scientist at ICCDRB in Bangladesh. We've got Sana Contractor, who's a public health researcher, practitioner, and activist affiliated with the Community of Practitioners on Accountability and Social Action in Health, otherwise known as COPASA. And we finally have Walter Flores, who's the executive director of the Center for the Study of Equity and Governance in Health Systems in Guatemala, as well as a global convener of the COPASA network. So the first thing I want to hear you talk about is language, how you even define or understand what a leave no one behind approach means in the context of community engagement and involvement generally, and as that relates to research specifically. First, let's hear from you, Sabrina. The way I myself think of uh, community engagement in terms of leaving no one behind is uh, the goals of USC, uh, universal healthcare coverage. So. If we really want to think about, you know, covering all the populations that we need to cover for with health programs, then we need to cover everyone and we can't afford to have someone left behind within the communities. That's really interesting, Sabrina. Sana, do you want to come in with your thoughts? To me, it's not so much about who is left behind. It's about why people are left behind. Um, and my, um, so to me, the understanding of leaving no one behind is not about um, making more aggressive efforts to reach those who have not, for instance, had the benefit of access to services, but to examine why it is that we see inequities in healthcare. Um, and that need not necessarily be due to the same reasons for everybody. Um, and I think there's there are certain common processes that result in inequities. And to me, the value of leaving no one behind as a slogan is that it forces us to examine those processes. Okay, I'd like to hear now about your experience, Rachel. For me, leaving no one behind in terms of community engagement is... Uh, is to try and make sure that everyone's voice is represented. Everyone's voice, irrespective of their um, social status in, in the community, irrespective of their disability, irrespective of their age, and irrespective of their gender, but um, making sure that everyone is is ideally represented and meaningfully so um, that their participation actually meets their needs. And finally, Walter, do you want to share your perspectives grounded as it is in decades of working with indigenous people? 
Yeah. So the leave no one behind uh, is generally used under the frame of the development aid. So basically it refers to people, marginalized people. But when we trying to apply to research because research is about knowledge production. I think leave no one behind is not only about who, but what is being left behind because research is about knowledge is what is being left behind. If, to me, when we talk about research, we should not, not only talk about who is being left behind, but what are we being left behind. And the what for me is indigenous knowledge, indigenous research methods, and also the values and the concerns of people that also actively produce knowledge, but they do not fit into the Western model of academic knowledge. So I, so what we are seeing is that we are concerned about the who is being left behind and we are ignoring what is being left behind. And I think specifically for research, we should address both. I think Walter, you raise really important points, not just about who is left behind, but what is being left behind in global health research. And that being meaningfully inclusive of indigenous knowledge and perspectives requires challenging the status quo of whose knowledge counts. So now I'd like to hear your reflections on what you found to be the biggest challenges of inclusivity that you faced in your work where you've really run into some walls. Can you talk about that? Yes. So one of the uh, principles that we follow in our research is that whatever we do about research, we negotiate the terms of the research with the communities. We negotiate what is the purpose of the research, what's going to be the goal, what we're going to do with it. And that's a key important. I mean, it's a very central part of inclusivity, but also engaging in research. But this can only be done if those population groups are organized. You can only negotiate because they are organized and they have some level of representation and legitimacy among the people that share that identity, those characteristics. The problem with that is that those being left behind in most cases are the most, uh, the most vulnerable or people in the most extreme situations. And as a result of their extreme vulnerability, they are usually not organized and they are usually not even seen in, 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 in many of the daily lives of communities. So the challenge there is when you are trying to negotiate the terms of the research with people in extreme vulnerability that they are not organized and they may not even be in a situation to negotiate. So my concern and the concern of my team is when we are facing extreme unequal power as well, that even if we are aware of this, even try to do something, we, we can really do much about the extreme uh, difference in terms of power, the extreme asymmetry there. I think I stand at this very, I mean, I feel like I, even as I um, advocate this way of doing research, I struggle with doing research in this way myself. Um, and it's, a, it's part of how one has been trained and a lot of unlearning that goes into it. But also as an advocate or an activist, you come at everything with a sort of 
um, with an agenda. And part of research is being open to other agendas and other ideas and being genuinely curious about the world, which also means acknowledging that where you're coming from, even though you are probably more self-aware than other people, but it also means that I, I find myself confronting my own biases several times. Um, and there is no denying the fact that the location that I individually occupy in the place where I live uh, has a lot to do with what kind of research I read, what I have learned from, what I consider respectable, what I consider actual authoritative theory um, is 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 um, clouded by uh, where I come from and who I am. Uh, and I have found myself um, very often struggling with these um, harsh truths when they are shown to me. Uh, one of the questions I had as well was how your thinking has changed in terms of working with marginalized and vulnerable groups or, you know, the, the quote unquote left behind in the context of the pandemic or what, you know, how your thinking has changed about the importance of this type of work over the course of, um, of witnessing what, you know, the impacts of COVID so far and what new insights do you think you've gained, if, if any, about um, community engagement involvement in global health research I can only say one thing is that the, the community has the power. They have the power to change everything. As a researcher, you have you are literally incapacitated. The people you work with are your most important capital. For ages, we have been talking about how people are being left behind and the health systems are not addressing a lot of needs for huge groups of population. And it has to be, you know, the services need to be extended beyond the maternal and child health. This conversation has happened over time. We have talked to the government at different points. But during COVID, I think what what was very clear, you know, when the gaps in the system became absolutely magnified, because suddenly, you know, they are talking about the vaccinating people or providing testing facilities for everyone with symptoms. So how are you going to reach people to tell them? First, I see it as a welcoming first step. The publication now that we are seeing in the past uh, a couple of years, but more importantly, as a result of the COVID pandemic about this uh, this questioning of uh, decolonizing public or decolonizing knowledge, I think that's a very important uh, steps and definitely the pandemic helps that. But my concern is that if it's going to stay at that level, yes, interest is going to pay attention, but then nothing changes in terms of the architecture of organizations providing funding. To me, I would see that this is taking on more when we start seeing changes to the architecture of these institutions, organizations providing funding, but also changes to the protocols in which we provide uh, the ethics, the ethics of research, because a lot of a lot of also has to do with the ethics of research, which is very much 
in my view, is very much arranged to protect Western researchers from any any uh, from from many issues, but it's not really arranged to include and to listen to those populations that have been researched at. So the audience in this seminar are people who are um, working in like a wide range of geographic contexts, both UK mm -hmm. researchers and non-British researchers, but from any number of potential regions uh, that, you know, qualify for this overseas development assistance and therefore can, can apply for funding through the scheme. Um, researchers with of, of a wide range of disciplines some who have a, a depth of experience doing community engagement and involvement in their work and for, for some for whom it is brand new. So thinking about sort of this like real spectrum of possibility, what would you say to people who are really new to doing community engagement and involvement in their work um, in terms of uh, how they might go about thinking about this question of leave no one behind? I think one of the most critical things um, is to... Um, have enough of uh, engagement at the level of at the at the stage of uh, formulating research questions um, and i think a lot of people don't do that because they start thinking about community engagement when they have to do the actual implementation and oftentimes the research question is set way before it even goes into that whole uh, process of an ethics review, so on and so forth. In fact, it's it's pro probably quite set at the time of writing the proposal. Uh, and so nobody wants to tamper with that. But I think people would benefit greatly by really being curious at that stage and trying to um, find new ways of thinking about, I'm not saying change your research uh, issue completely, but if you are trying to understand um, access to nutrition in a tribal community in India, for example, um, try to ensure that your research questions are in line with what with what pe pe people's understanding of that issue is wherever you're doing the study, for instance. Um, and if you are able to do that, it ensures that I mean, it makes the whole process of engagement more fruitful for you as well as for the community themselves. One important lesson was to be, uh, to understand there are power structures and there are things within the society that, that by design leaves people behind. So it's not bad or good you know I I don't it's it's just it and I um especially for health it's easier to sort of push those boundaries be, partly because you know the the public system is there and uh, and people don't have a lot of resistance about uh, treating ill people. You know, it's it's public good and and it's understood. And you know, it's not a lot of there's not a lot of pushback. But uh, there might be other places where it might become contentious and uh, problematic, but not in, not so much in health. 
Do you feel like the, the health, I mean, I mean, this might be actually specific to both the research and the public health culture in Bangladesh that there's, yeah. Yeah. Like, definitely that's yeah. not true everywhere. <laughs> that's definitely and not I, true everywhere. In Bangladesh, at least, in Bangladesh, at least I didn't find this was an issue. Yeah. But, uh, but definitely sensitizing people from an outsider's perspective about what you see in terms of structure that creates barriers for people is very important. Always trying to push that boundary, that envelope, and bringing those issues in the forefront of every conversation. So people start thinking. You, you have to get the communities to start thinking about the existing processes that leave people behind. Rachel, would you like to add something? Yeah, yeah. So uh, one thing is that, uh, first of all, in anything that you're going to study, you need to completely understand who are the stakeholders involved. Do a very good fishbone and understand who is affected by this problem and who affects this problem. I think we should have a sort of a guidelines with a question for reflection that researchers should ask themselves like the ones that we have used in the past that I was mentioning. Is my research going to change and is going to contribute to change the situation? I mean, if, and if you say yes, but why? It's because you're saying, or is because the, the population group or the community engaged told you so. If you say, no, I think it's great. My research is great. Well, did the community tell you so? Or you say, no, no, I, I haven't asked you. Okay, so next step is, try to get from the community or the population group, what is the views about the research? And once you explain to them what is aiming to achieve, whether they think that it is sufficient for them to engage in this process. So this has been a really interesting conversation. We could talk on this topic for hours, but we need to wrap things up. So I want to thank Walter, Sana, Sabrina, Rachel for talking to us today and to all the people who contributed to the Community Engagement and Involvement Learning Program that we at IDS have developed together with the NIHR. For those of you listening, if you'd like to learn more about community engagement and involvement, there are a lot of resources on the NIHR website at www.nihr.ac.uk. You can find out more about the NIHR Global Health Research Program via the Twitter account at NIHR Global. This has been an episode in the NIHR podcast series. I'm Erica Nelson. Thanks for listening.